If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. There's a lot to go on with this. You can make money from your podcast, no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Remember, your podcast journey starts here. Welcome everyone to Literally Just Airplanes. I'm your host and creator, Miles Veneer. And tonight we're gonna be talking about a very cool topic that I've always wanted to discuss with my viewers and listeners. Uh, it's not too insane, but it, go, it goes in depth with being able to classify some of the best World War II fighters. And yes, everyone's got their favorites, but this one's gonna be talking more about some underrated ones that were used for a lot of points in warfare that helped build relationships. And I think the biggest relationship in the war would have to be, you know, the Allies, of course, and the Axis powers. But when you got different types of airplanes, you got to put it in perspective of which one, which ones did their jobs and their missions. If I had to pick an aircraft that had a lot of ambitions to it, and you know, it, it definitely helped a lot in the long run. I mean, a lot in the long run, in the beginnings of the war, it would have to be the Mitsubishi Zero, the A6M to be exact. You know, the Zero was widely produced. You know, over over ten thousand were built, and. It was a workhorse, you know. It was one of the first carrier-borne fighters. Uh, the Navy used a lot. The Navy used a ton of them. The Army used a lot of them too. And, you know, when when it was made, there were a lot of there were a lot of things that that helped them develop it into better aircraft. And over the years, of course, a lot of their pilots followed the Bushido and the Kamikaze and you know, a lot of them would, would perish, but the aircraft had its own value of performance. One of the big performance measures of it was it was very light. Uh, it can outmaneuver a lot of Allied aircraft in the early 1940s and late 1930s. Uh, it can out, outclass the P-40, P-39, the P-63. Uh, it had a very good turning capability because a lot of it was made from wood. And they used that for the advantage of weight. You know, I know that sounds funny because you think wood is heavy, but the Nakajima, Nakajima developed the Zero to be very elusive. If you look at aircraft that were used in a lot of theaters of war, like Pacific and, you know, European, you think of the Mustang, you think of the P-38 um, on the Axis side, there's really not that many. And then you hear of the the zero the zero on the Pacific side, and it, it did a lot. You know, when the Japanese when Hiro thought of making an aircraft, he wanted to make something that was developed to be quick 
and very aerodynamic. And yeah, the, there's a lot of code names and everything involved with the, you know, the Zeke and a lot of other stuff involved, but it it definitely outclassed its rivals, though. The, the Brewster Buffalo was no match. Uh, one of the battles, the kill death ratio for the Brewster Buffalo was one to eight against the Zeros. The F4F, once Grumman developed the Wildcat, it had a lot of issues with weight and turning. When it turned against the Zero, it would try to get behind it, but the Zero would outturn it. Meaning that if you're going into a circle, the Zero would get behind you quicker because of the, the amount of weight and turn aspect ratio. Now, it lost its advantage towards the end of the war because we started developing aircraft that would go against it. You know, we're starting to develop aircraft that can definitely counter, counteract it and basically beat it out of the sky. You know, the F6F was developed, which those quad 50s would tear it apart easily. Or, you know, you have the P-38, which towards the end of the war, they used those to really pinpoint and attack these. The Zero, you know, had a lot of misfortunes and but I think the coolest thing about it is how underratedly fast it was. It, was, it flew about 533 kilometers an hour. And that was the max speed at full throttle, so about maybe 495, which is still very impressive. Uh, you know, it had it had two 7.7 millimeter machine guns and two 20 millimeter auto cannons. And the Japanese developed their, you know, machine gun hub like the Germans did. So they got that idea from the Germans. But I, I hope you guys would agree that the Zero is very underrated, even though it was used a lot in World War II. But we're always talking about the Allies' achievements in the war. Uh, that's just one of the main things. Now, if you... Now, let's go back. Let's go to maybe... Maybe two years after. So, in 1943, 1944, and we start introducing, you know, the F6F... The P-38 um, in the Pacific Theater, they were they were highly outmatched. A lot of aces would take them down, but also a lot of the, the Zeros, their pilots were dead from Bushido, like I stated before. So, you know, there's a there's a high discussion saying what what aircraft would you put up against it in a dogfight? Of course, in the earlier stages of war, the Zero outmatched everything. That it came across. But who would who would you would you fly a zero if you had the chance? Because I know I would. Um, let's talk about another underrated aircraft in the war, and we're gonna go towards. We're gonna try to keep this categorized. Uh, let's go towards now since we started fighters. Let's go towards bombers, and I'm gonna go with the the Yunkers Ju88. That aircraft, I, I love flying it in simulators. I think the idea of the aircraft was phenomenal, especially because a lot of the German aces loved using it because it was used for attack and bombing. And they designed it so they can try to, you know, elus be elusive to avoid being caught by fighters. And it did work for a lot of the time. Um, when Zindel, Evers, and Gassner developed it, 
they wanted to put a V12 on engine on each. And it was called the Chanel bomber because it was very fast. It's the Go bomber. And when they when they developed it, they wanted to make it you know, like I said earlier, they wanted to make it abusive, but abusive to ground attack units. And they did. Um, later models, they, they did, like I said, model-wise, they developed a lot of miles. And the models that they developed were thrown into tactical night attack roles, dive bombing roles, even, even Navy roles, and even reconnaissance roles, which I think is fantastic. Um, you know, of course, the Luftwaffe developed a lot of them. And it was very important on the assembly line for the Luftwaffe because they wanted to use it as a attack force. It, and it, the cool thing about it is the design remained unchanged through all variants except some maybe add-ons for night vision and night attack. Of course, the variants, you know... They had they had the, the Yumo 211 engines that were basically welded together V6s, so it created a V12. But I think my favorite my favorite variant would have to be the the night attack, the Zerastar, the fighter bomber, night fighter, based on the A series, but it had a, it had sheet metal on. They 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 one of the first aircraft that they started developing sheet metal for the noses. And I know that's kind of crazy to think about, but the C model added, it converted over to Yumo 211 engines, which is lighter because they wanted to use less, less fuel. But when they started developing the D models, they were used as reconnaissance, and they would fly a long way. Um, they were using metal propellers, which the problem was with the metal propellers is they were heavy. But they were also more... They can withstand more attack and more and more thrust dynamics. The G model, the night fighter model, it had the tail section of a 188, but it literally aerodynamically improved the aircraft tremendously. It improved the conformal gun pod for a quartet of forward firing, so you added a 20 millimeter cannon to it. That's that's crazy. And of course, you had an MG 151 below it. Instead of using radial engines, they inverted some V12s which huge amount of horsepower you know 1726 horsepower they used either the the uh the lichtensteins or the neptunes and they were crazy radars there was the neptune and the lichtensteins were close to 218 megahertz radars or 90 megahertz radars it had eight dipole aerial setup for experimentally with more aerodynamic morgenstern triple crossed dipole aerials See now, I really like the night fighters. I think night fighters are super underrated, and there's plenty of them. You know, even the, the Black Widow was one of my favorite air aircraft. You know, I started learning about airplanes because they painted the paint magnesium. Yeah, it's a stupid idea, but the black paint would blend into the sky. You wouldn't be able to see them. But going back to the Ju-88, they used this development for the Me-110 as well, which was used as a night fighter. When I mean night fighters, is they would go up in the air. They would stalk bombers, strafe some bombers, and go back down to the ground. You know, you wouldn't think a Ju-88 is that. That would be more of ground attack strafing, which they were really well known for. These, these def, these uh, they would use the first types of jammers, which would jam up the radars. 
And I think this is crazy because they use those, they use those tremendously in the war. They use those to prevent the, the uh, allies to, to d develop them so they bomb tank units. If I had to pick a ground attack unit that was very, very underrated in the war would be a Yunkers JU-88. One reason is it was very fast. It can outrun a lot of fighters. Two, it had a very good, uh, very good, what am I trying to say here? Very good airworthiness, so it can definitely stay in the air for a good amount. It was very aerodynamic. Those are some pros. I think some other pros are it was, the, the cockpit was very well easy to see out of. Now, that can also be its dilemma, too. The, a lot of cons, I think, and why, you know, why are people not saying this is, I think that one of the biggest cons is that it didn't really have a defense force. You know, when, you, when you're defending against a lot of aircraft, you have to have a defense force. And it struggled defensively in a lot of ways. Yeah, it did have, you know, different types of cannons. But it, it had a lot of weak spots. Like, for instance, it had a weak spot underneath the aircraft. So if anyone was going underneath it, or even flak, tear the airplane apart. But, man, this airplane, this airplane definitely could carry its weight, though. And we're now going to go to the JU-88S model, which I didn't even know they even had an S model. So it was classified as the high bomber, high-speed bomber series. You know, it had a smoothly glazed nose with radial ribs supports. So instead of that crazy uh, beetle-shaped glass in the front, they put supports on. They started boosting it with nitrous oxide. You know, they fitted it with two BMW 801 G2 engines, and they made them a lot faster. The problem is you got to think of is maintenance. A lot of the maintenance stuff in these aircraft really were the downgrades of the aircraft and all German aviation, even ground attacks. The JU-88T was the three-seat photo reconnaissance model, which is basically an S version, but with the photo camera on it. And they used those with extra fuel, and they could fly pretty far. Now, of course, we're going to think about the operators. You know, the Germans, the Italians, the Hungarians, even the Slovaks used them in the Axis side. Now, the Finnish used them as well. But we got to remember, we captured a lot of these. The United States Air Force and the British used these to capture, just test them out. And there's accounts where the British love using these. There's only two of these remaining in the world, and they're all in British hands right now. But I think the coolest thing about this aircraft is it was established to be a high-speed bomber, which could bring about what the other high-speed bombers will be in the future. It had a max speed at about 470 kilometers an hour, so 290, which is quick. Now, would you agree that this is an underrated aircraft? I would definitely agree it's an underrated aircraft. Capability of bombing, strafing, diving, and even reconnaissance. So, now that I talked about Axis aircraft, let's talk about an underrated Allied aircraft. And I'm going to go with the A-26. That aircraft is so cool looking. The Invader is one of those airplanes that, that when Douglas made, they wanted to make an aircraft that was intimidating. And the A-26 is just like the A-20 where it was intimidating and it was used for a long time. Now, just like the JU-88, the Allies wanted to have an aircraft that would serve for a long time. 
Now this aircraft did serve a lot longer than the, the Junkers J88, more than 14 years after. It had a large bomb load, very large bomb load. But what's crazy about this is it was used till 1980. The Colombian Air Force stopped using it. So it was used for a very long time. Now, it's not like the B-26. The B-26 is more of a bomber. I mean, they're both powered by the same engines. Now, the, the crazy thing about the A-26 is it's, when you take a, take a picture look at it, it is a very high-powered bomber, very big. And when you think of when you think of an aircraft that has very very big and I'm gonna say it is voluptuous wings, you want to think of an aircraft like a bomber. Now, the power plant, of course, those double wasps are massive. They used double wasps and P-47s and Corsairs. Now, the performance was another thing. It had eight. M2 Browning machine guns at 8 M2 basically I'm going to say 50 cals under the wing pods dorsal turrets and remote control ventral turrets it can carry rockets it can carry bombs and it was used it was used a lot man I think this aircraft is very underrated there's not really that much to talk about it's an aircraft that was designed to be a light attack and light bomber and it can get into really tight places and we used we used these we used some of them in Vietnam. So you know when you think of an aircraft like this, you gotta have power and intimidation. And this aircraft is one of those intimidating factors. Now if we need to go back to the Zero, the Yonkers J88, and the A26, we just need one more Allied fighter that was underrated. Now I can I can say a lot from the American side or even the Soviet side underrated aircraft. There's there's plenty of them. I think one of the ones that makes the top list is of course the the Yak. The Yak was was one of those aircraft that it it put into effect of what it can do. The Yak 2 is definitely an underrated aircraft. The PE-2 is another underrated aircraft for attack. I wish I knew more about it, but it was definitely used more for ground attack. Now, the second underrated aircraft as fighter aircraft, in my opinion, is the Hawker Typhoon. The Hawker Typhoon, man, that thing is mean looking. When you look at a Typhoon, you notice the big, big intake it's got. Now, when I see the Hawker Typhoon, I know it was a very important aircraft in the war. It was one of the main aircraft to take down Erwin Rommel's convoy. And it was designed by a man named Sidney Kemp. He wanted to make an aircraft just like the Spitfire, an intimidation factor, but with more power. Man, he made an aircraft that was good. They had rockets. It was armored. It was had four Hispano 20mm cannons on it. I mean, it was made to be strong. It was made to be durable, just like the P-47. You know, that can, be, that can be a fight on its own. But there were a lot of conversions with it. 
You had a lot of you had a lot of night attack conversions. You had a lot of bomber conversions. You had a lot of fighting conversions. It was a heavily armored ground attack aircraft. And man, that thing was flown a lot. The armament options selected were either configured with 12 by 303 machine guns. And even with all the prototypes built, it was used for a long time. It was an all-metal construction with forward fuselage. But the big thing you can tell are those Hispano cannons, which are just pound ground attack targets. And I think this airplane is sweet. I mean, it's got a 2100 horsepower engine, and this late Sabres had 2260 horsepower. So it was fast. But when they developed it, they wanted to be, they wanted to use it. They wanted to use it for ground attack, and the RAF loved using it for ground attack. It can hold two 1,000-pound bombs or eight three-inch rockets with 60-pound warheads. It's amazing for pounding convoys, ground attack equipment, supply supply columns, and, ch and trains. I would love to see one in person, especially since there's only one remaining. Out of all these aircraft, all of them would definitely be on my underrated. There's still plenty of aircraft to be underrated on that list. But out of those four I mentioned, what do you guys think? So, you know, I, I, I like all four of them. So, I conclude this episode with just having a little history episode. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Spotify. I, I love my viewers. I've been noticing a lot of viewership lately. Thankful for all you guys and keep listening. And if you guys have any, any things I want to talk about, go ahead and message me or email me or snap me if you have my Snapchat. Uh, hope everyone is having a good night and stay safe.